Welcome everybody, Will Bradley here from the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast, and for those of you who do not know, we currently have our The Adventurous Gentleman Empire State Public Land Dirtbag t-shirts available. You can just go to the website to check them out and place your order. Also, if you're not a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, I would highly recommend checking it out and consider joining. As always, our partners for this podcast are Mountain Ops. Use the coupon code TAG10 at checkout to get 10% off your Mountain Ops order. And Maven Built. If you want to get some sweet Maven optics and you want to get some free swag with your order, just use the coupon code NBHGIFT with your order and they will send you some free swag. Now enjoy the show. If you are ready to take the hard road, the road less traveled. The path in life where the journey is more important than the destination. Then you are in the right place. Prepare to live with vigor. This is the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. Welcome one and all to the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. I'm your host, Will Bradley. And joining me today is a very special guest, fellow New Yorker. Todd Waldron. For those of you who don't know Todd, Todd is the chairman of the New York chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, one of the fastest growing conservation groups in the country. Welcome to the show, Todd. Hey, thanks, Will. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Todd, that is pretty epic. Fastest growing conservation group in the country. What do you think is driving that growth? Well, well, uh, backcountry hunters and anglers has a message that just resonates with public landowners. So uh, it started out, for those that aren't familiar with backcountry hunters and anglers, it started out um, at a campfire in Oregon in 2004. And there were a handful of people that had this vision of being a voice for America's public lands and waters. And we're all public landowners. So whether you... Uh, recreate like camping, hiking, biking, mountain biking, climbing. Everybody loves America's public lands. There's 640 million acres. And so I think that, um, you know, that message, it just gets out there. It resonates with a lot of people. Uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers has uh, a good social media presence, um, and and they're doing a great job of, of drawing people in. And when people hear the message and they hear uh, how important America's public lands are, uh, whether you live in the east or the west or wherever you are, uh, it fires people up. Uh, it's something that we all appreciate, and uh, we're you know we want to get involved and make sure that that's passed on to the next generation. And what is backcountry hunters and anglers for those people who may be their first time hearing about it? What does backcountry hunters and anglers do, and what do they plan on doing in the future? Yeah, sure. Well, so I am a volunteer for Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and I'm a life member and uh, a chapter leader here in New York State. And I've been involved with uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers for a couple of years. So uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, or BHA as it's called, is based in Missoula, Montana. And Lantani is the CEO and president. They've got a great staff. Um, and they've got chapters in close to 30 states uh, up into Canada. Um, you know, so they're all over the country. And so Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is a conservation group uh, that advocates for America's public lands and waters. So uh, the, the bucket list, so to speak, um, would be, you know, protecting access to public lands, um, you know, so that people have access to public lands and make sure that they remain uh, federally controlled so that uh, all Americans can get out there and enjoy 640 million acres that we have one of North America's greatest legacies. Um, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers also focuses on um, landscape protection of critical habitats um, and, and fair chase hunting and angling as well. So, you know, those are the, the three main buckets. And so nationally, uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is just a, a, a force. Um, you know, they're weighing in on um, issues like the national monuments um, that, that were a big issue earlier this year protecting land and water conservation fund uh, authorization, moving it forward. So there's just a lot of things that BHA is doing. If you're on social media, um, you'll see that anywhere there's any kind of uh, talk about public lands, uh, BHA is showing up. 
Um, so in New York here, uh, we've had a chapter since uh, 2014 or so, and it started out with about 50 or so people. And uh, Ron Rohrbaugh, our friend, and Dave Colavito were chapter leaders early on, and they just kept this campfire going. And it's just grown at fever pitch, and we have about 400 members now in New York, and uh, every month it's just growing, and we're getting the word out. Now, we don't have a lot of federal land in New York. Um, we, you know, There's the Finger Lakes National Forest, but there's Montezuma National Wildlife Refuge. A lot of our public lands um, are constitutionally protected through uh, state lands, as you well know. And, and uh, that's pretty interesting to me because it's definitely one of those issues that we, we have public land here, and it's, our access is a little different than it is out west, but the access to that public land and maintaining the fact that a lot of it stays in public hands is very important no matter who is holding it, whether it's federal or state. Oh, that's right, Will. That's well said. And, and you know, we're in pretty good shape from a standpoint of having threats, you know, to worrying about whether state lands will be transferred. You know, we don't have to really worry about that issue here in New York. We're in good shape. There's constitutional protections. Uh, but those lands and, and the conservation legacy that we have here, it still needs to be um, stewarded, right? So, yes. yeah, there's funding, right? You know, so when you look at... Um, Wildlife funding and DEC's, um, you know, uh, conservation fund, much of that is driven uh, through financials, through hunters and anglers license sales, right? And so when you look at important programs for hunting and fishing, for wildlife protection, Young Forest Initiative, all these things that are going on, none of that is an accident. And so there still needs to be a voice um, out there looking after that stuff, making sure that there's access to those lands making sure, you know, weighing in that habitat is being managed well and that the funding is in place to be able to pass our hunting and fishing legacy on to the next generation. And in New York State, it is a lot of land. We're talking about, actually, I should have had this statistic pull up. I don't know if you happen to know it on the top of your uh, head, how much public land we have in New York. A ton a ton will. So we have in Forest Preserve in the Adirondack Park inside what's called the Blue Line, um, there's something on the magnitude of like 2.6 or 2.7 million acres of Forest Preserve land. And then uh, another several hundred thousand in the Catskill region. And those are Forest Preserve lands. Then throw on top of that another maybe 600,000 acres of state forests outside the parks and maybe 100, 110 wildlife management areas. And, and we have a lot of public land that's accessible to everybody. And we're talking about all kinds of different public land, you know, topography-wise, whether it's mountains, streams, rivers, lakes, marshes. You know, we don't have any uh, desert, but we have a whole lot of everything else. You know, New York is such a diverse place. It's such a cool place to live if you love the outdoors. And you're absolutely right. So where else? I mean, there's a lot of states along the coast, but where else can you be miles and miles back in one of the biggest wilderness areas in the whole eastern United States? Um, but then within four hours, you could be surf fishing at Jones Beach. You could be salmon fishing on Lake Ontario. And there's everything in between, you know, so there's just a lot of opportunity for New York hunters and anglers. You know, and that's just it. You could be salmon fishing, sailing, kayaking, surfing, wakeboarding, hunting. You, AT, I mean, you have Lewis County, if you want an ATV snowmobile up on Tug Hill, you can go and go and go and go. Miles and miles, right? So for people that love public land, that aren't hunters and anglers. There's opportunities for snowmobiling. There's opportunities for camping, kayaking. You know, there's the, the race, you know, like the, uh, the all sorts of kayaking and boating and canoeing. And, you know, there's the whole uh, race across the central Adirondacks, you know, in the canoes that's coming up here pretty soon. Yeah, I'm signed and, up. Yeah, you're signed up. Second all right. year. Second year. Yep. So there you go. So, that's and, you know. You want to see the abundance beauty of the Adirondacks you sign up for that 90 the 90 miler and you don't get to see it all right but you're gonna see 
it's it's breathtaking. I don't even know how to explain the true beauty of this wild, wild public land. And you know, public land it gets thrown out there a lot, but it's like I sell houses for a living. And when I talk to people, it's like, oh, everybody either wants to be in like a real uh, small neighborhood, or they're like, oh, I want you know at least five acres. And it's like, all right, but, you know, it's tough to take care of five acres. Are you aware of how many acres you have access to beyond that? You know, if you go on these pub on these public lands and you use them, it's astounding. It, it's astounding. And so I'm a lifelong Adirondacker, aside from about a 10-year stint working in northern Pennsylvania. You we know, all make mistakes. First- yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm back here, you know, so my wife and I live in the Lake George North Creek region. And, uh, we Beautiful like to area. say, yeah, we like to say that, um, we like to live where the rivers have rocks, you know, this is where we want to raise our daughter. And <laughs> so, you know, we're here, right? Where the rivers have rocks. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you, you know, where I was going with that was that, you know, growing up here, and growing up in an outdoor family and, and living in the Adirondacks, there's just so much ground I have still never seen. You know, 30 years out there busting through brush, you know, climbing mountains. And there's just so many parts of the Adirondacks that are still out there at the tip of your fingertips that you still want to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know how many lakes are there, but there has to be over 100. Oh, yeah. Easily? Yeah. I think so. I, I read some somewhere that if you added streams, ponds, creeks, rivers, all that, you, you'd come up with something like a couple thousand across the Adirondacks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. So a lot, and and, and most know, of them public access, and most of it public access, and and that's right, and and you know when you're trying to put that into context of how big the park is, it's like. It's bigger than I, I saw somewhere on social media. They had like it in a like a photo diagram of like the Adirondack Park compared to like Yellowstone Glacier uh, and like two or three other national parks combined. So when you're thinking about scope, it's a big area and it's a unique spot and it's one of the wildest places east of the Mississippi River. Yeah, I think it. it it's one of those things too, where you want to see moose. We've got them. You, you want to see most of these big animals, except for elk, of course. You know they're there. Bears. It's it's wild. And I know I talked about this with Dan Den when he was on the show. You go to the Moose River Plains, you're going to some wild, dangerous country. <laughs> no doubt. And uh, you just never know what you're going to see. So I was up in Newton Falls uh, earlier this week which is near Cranberry Lake, okay? So it's like up in the northwest corner. Yeah, like Five Ponds Ponds Wilderness Area. And, you know, I was driving down this dirt road, and this big black bear crossed the road, this big sow black bear, and she had three cubs with her. And the cubs looked like little black, you know, they were, they seemed like they weren't that much bigger than basketballs, but they were really, it was such a cool thing to just be driving down the road and see black bears like that. And you just, it's, that's kind of emblematic of, of the area. You just never know what you're going to see. You know, and, and, and touching on events and things going on in the park, there's also uh, have you ever done the black fly challenge? <laughs> I have not done the black fly challenge. So what's, I've heard of it, but tell me so a little bit. The black fly challenge is, I may be wrong on the mileage. I think it's like, actually, you know, instead of being wrong about it, I'm going to go ahead and use the power of Google right now and get exactly the distance down because I don't want to make an arse out of myself when I go the distance. I've done it, I think, three times now. You think I would be able to remember the distance? (laughs) Is it it a mountain bike race? You can do it on mountain bike or cross bike with the cross. Is that what it's called? Cross? Cycle cross, cycle cross bike. Cycle cross bike. All right. Cool stuff. And, you know, it goes across the Moose River Plains, and it's a hell of a beautiful race. Again, it says 38.3 miles, so almost 40-mile race. That's pretty good distance. And it another you're going through all this wild terrain. I stopped once to take a leak, 
and I look over, and there's a moose going through, like, this pond, small lake area. I'm getting bit to death by these black flies, but, I mean, where else can you do a mountain bike race like that and just stroll across the moose? Yeah, that's incredible, and 40 miles of wilderness like that or wild forest, and, I mean, yeah. you're just going through the heart of the Adirondacks. Where else in the east are you going to have wild open space like that to be able to do that kind of stuff it's you know crazy. You, you'd have it in like maine but it's you're not going to have also the infrastructure around it you know maine's pretty wild up there but there's all these access roads and then everywhere you look there's a campsite 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 you want to go camping with your family go up there fishing hunting whatever you want to do go ahead you've got access yeah maine is another area that that's pretty cool there's a lot of similarities um, but yeah, like you say, like the, just the general scope of the wildness here in the Adirondacks and some of the roadless areas, I think it makes it pretty unique. And, uh, you know, it's all within what the irony of it is, is like, it's all within what, like five hours of one of the, you know, New York city, one of the biggest cities in the world. And so you've got, talk about like contrast. Well, well not just that it's not far from Toronto, uh, Montreal. Or New York City and Montreal. How many French Canadians do you run across in the Adirondacks? <laughs> all the time, right? All Especially the time. <laughs> they're all over the place. I know, I know. It's it's a it's a fun place to live. Um, you, you know, it's influenced my worldview. So, like when I look at the big decisions I've made in my life and kind of how I perceive my role in the world and you know in relation to the land that I live on, you know, there's no doubt that growing up in the Adirondacks is, is shaped that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, it's, I'm here, I'm living here because we want to be here because, you know, because it's a meaningful life and we enjoy having that connection to these kinds of places. And one of the things, you know, we talk about the access and that's one of the great things backcountry hunters and anglers work on. Because you can have a ton of state land, but if you can't get to it, it's not very useful. Yeah, that's right, Will. And, and you know, one of the things that sets backcountry hunters and anglers apart as an organization, our demographics are, you know, we have a young crowd in backcountry hunters and anglers. And, you know, oftentimes when you think of hunters and, and people that like to fish, men and women, you know, they tend to be like you might have a stereotype of having maybe older people that have been doing it, baby boomer generation or our parents. And BHA is on fire with a bunch of young people. And not only people like me that grew up with it, you know, in, in my home with my family, but adult onset people, people that live in other places that are that want to explore these connections. And where I'm going with this is that, you know, when you talk to somebody, when, you, when you're trying to figure out, you know, how to get somebody started with hunting and fishing that has not had that exposure one of the first things they're going to tell you is one of the biggest issues is just finding a place to hunt and fish so if you don't have that access you know that sets the stage for everything else so if we're going to pass this stuff on to the next generation of hunters and anglers they have to be able to have places to hunt and fish and we have to have the habitat and the parts in place for you know for the landscapes and the animals that live there so Let's touch on that a little bit. Do you have a favorite uh, fishing or hunting spot that you wouldn't be afraid to share? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm happy to. So I I live, like I said, I live over near Chestertown, which is Lake George region, and it's in the eastern Adirondacks, okay? So from a hunting standpoint, uh, most of my hunting in the Adirondacks is like big woods hunting is done within a couple hours of home, you know, so I, I am generally the type of guy in the fall where I'm just leaving the house early in the morning and just going and driving and, you know, to where I want to go. So I like the Siamese Ponds Wilderness area. I like it a lot. It's 90,000 acres, you know, it's 20 miles across. Um, it's, it's located, uh, west of, um, Johnsburg, east of like speculator and wells, it's, you know, it's just a really cool place. Um, so from a hunting standpoint, if you're looking for a backcountry hunter's opportunity, you know, places like that. And there's others, too. There's places like Farrow Lake Wilderness. There's places like Silver Lake Wilderness. You know, those are the kinds of places that are on my radar screen just because of the proximity. 
Um, and are you doing rifle, bow, or both? So I I prefer I am a very like I, I consider myself a generalist hunter, and like I just I tend to hunt with a rifle. You know, like and and I do bow hunt right in the fall, early in the fall. I don't consider myself a bow junkie, Will. Like, I do it because it gives me an opportunity to hunt. I love, you know, people that love to bow hunt, and I get it why people, like, thrive on that and really get into it. I am just like, just give me whatever I can hunt with at that particular time, and I'll go out there and do it. So I've done both. Um, Like, my bow hunting tends to be pretty close to home on some private land that our family has, you know, and that's usually, like, after work. But then what I really get excited about is like late November when the weather gets cold and the snow flies and you can get out there and hunt with a rifle and still hunt and find tracks and just cover ground and hike up mountains. And that's the kind of stuff that gets me jacked up about hunting. That's what, right. that's the kind of style that I really like. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's, that's a pretty uh, popular style, I would say, in the Adirondacks in the Northeast is that uh, I think it gets attributed a lot to like the ben- Benoit's. And, uh, there's a few like really big name, uh, Adirondack, like backcountry uh, trackers. Uh, oh yeah. And there's some good ones and I'm mediocre at it. You know, I, I get by, but I am not one of those types, but, uh, you want to talk about people that are, you know, legendary Adirondack trackers start talking about Jim Massett from out in your neck of the woods. He lives out in central New York. Um, Joe Donito. Yep. Uh, yeah. The Salerno brothers. Um, Todd Mead, you know, there's just so many, and, and I got to tell you, there's so many that I know that are just unnamed that, that have just been doing it their whole life that are just good at it. So there, you know, what it does is it's like one of the few places it's a hard way to hunt, uh, but it's rewarding. So it's like, you know, are there easier places to hunt white-tailed deer in New York state? Absolutely. Are there places where there's more deer? Absolutely. But if you're looking for that backcountry kind of experience, there are few places in the eastern United States that can get you off the trail like the Adirondacks can. And so I kind of gravitate it through. I, I like the experience of it. I like roaming around, you know, wild state land and being off the beaten path. And, you, you know, when you do see deer, when you do harvest deer, it's a perk. It's a bonus. But the whole package is what's, uh, and you know, that's what attracts me to the whole situation. And how about as far as fishing goes? Oh, yeah. I love, um, you know, I like to ice fish. So I cut my teeth. I grew up ice fishing with my dad and my grandfather and my mom and aunts and uncles. And my earliest memories of being out, in the, you know, outside are related to ice fishing. And, and this is going back. I'm in my mid 40s. So when we used to ice fish when I was a kid, you know, we did not have any fancy gear. Like my dad welded a uh, like a chisel you know, a galvanized pipe and a chisel head. And we just use these old tip-ups and we'd go to Minerva Lake and we'd get the Coleman stove out and we'd trap our own bait, you know, so you'd take this wire mesh trap and you'd put dog food in it and go up to some pond and catch some chubs and then throw them on the end of the hook and then just have a day of it, you know. And, and that just, I love that still. I mean, you can't, we don't trap bait, of course, anymore. And you need to keep track of that from an invasive standpoint. But those things are great. So I have a six-year-old daughter. Um, she's been ice fishing with me. You know, that a lot of my fishing is going to be ice fishing in the wintertime. And I got to tell you, like, if you can withstand the cold weather, it's a great opportunity to get on some of these lakes. Like, if you don't have a big boat, you're not going to be fishing Lake George or Scroon Lake in the summertime. But in the, in the winter, it's like an equalizer. And as long as you can stand it, it's pretty cool. You can get out there and fish. So we, we fish lake trout. Um, I do like brook trout fishing a lot. And still, um, you know, I'll fish like the East Branch, Sacandaga, uh, the Boris River, you know, places like that and some small creeks. And, you know, oftentimes, it, you know, it, those wild brook trout are just so darn pretty. And so, you know, it's not about the size of the trout. It's just about being where they live. And, and, you know, if you can get into some trout there, it's so much fun. You know, and if you can't stay in the cold, you're definitely in the wrong place. <laughs> you're in the wrong place. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny, too. You mentioned the, uh, the brook trout. I was talking to, I think, Garrett. Is it Garrett who's the treasurer for? 
It is Garrett. Yeah, Garrett. Absolutely. I was talking to Garrett while we did the, uh, for those of you who don't know, we recently had a pint night and uh, right here just outside of where I live and Todd and Garrett and a few of the guys from BHA came down and we were talking about up on the Tug Hill, I had seen this little stream and I looked over the bridge and sure enough there was fish in there. Well, this past Sunday, I had to do an open house on that same road. So I, I walked down to the stream. I brought my fishing stuff, jumped in. Sure enough, second cast in, boom, tiny little brookie. He, I mean, he fried the size of, you know, two, three inch maybe. But I'll tell you what. How cool is that? It was great. It was great. Yeah. Just the fact yeah. that I could just look like it was all state access, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, it has the sign posted. And all I did was just walk right in. And next thing you know, I'm fishing, catching fish. And anyone can do it. Yeah, I love it, Will. That is so cool. And uh, there's just water. You can just, the, the fact that we can just, you can be doing what you're doing, going through your day, and be able to go out there and fish for brook trout. <laughs> and uh, being a place like that is just, that's pretty darn awesome. Yeah, I've got the West Canada Creek probably three minutes from my house. I've been fishing that almost, uh, I've been trying to go like every Tuesday and Thursday. This Thursday, the little man was sick, and even I'm developing a little bit of a cough, so. Didn't, didn't make it out this morning, but I'll probably hit it this uh, weekend. And there it is. Anyone Again, anyone can go. That, that to me, what, what really separates us from the West. Yeah, it, it, it really is pretty darn cool. And, uh, you know, and we, I have my six-year-old daughter. She likes to fish. And even, um, even places like the, uh, we live near Loon Lake. And uh, Loon Lake, there's a public beach, and you know she, she's at that stage where she doesn't care what she catches if, as long as we're catching fish. So we she's can at go the over same there. Same stage as me. Yeah, so we go <laughs> over there. We catch we catch pumpkin seeds and bluegills, and she just loves it. And you know we just we just have so much fun, and it's a, it's a cool thing to be able to experience it with her and see her enjoy it so much. And that is why you should join Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. <laughs> <laughs> among, yeah, that's right. Among many things. Among many uh, other reasons. You know, <laughs> one of the things I love, and I've, I've tried to become a little bit more of a cheerleader for this area and for upstate New York when it comes to the outdoors, is because I want to build up this community, the community we have here. Because out west, they, I think they're just killing us. As far as how good of a job they've done with the building of the community and events and turnouts like that. And so it's nice that backcountry hunters and anglers in New York State is become, it become so active with pint nights and cleanups and all kinds of like get togethers. To me, this is, this is, if you're listening and you're in New York State and you enjoy the outdoors, you should join and not just join, but be active. Yeah, it, I appreciate that, Will. And thanks so much for the kind words. And, uh, you know, there, there, there are a lot of active Western chapters out there that are just doing a ton. Uh, you know, they have been at it for several years, you know, so some of those chapters that got started early, you know, they've been at it a few more years than us. But I got to tell you, you know, there's an opportunity here in New York to have a major, major community. And, and so when you look at demographics, when you look at the fact that, look at how many hunters and anglers are in New York. There's something like a million one um, anglers and something like eight or 900,000 hunters. So if you capture a small part of that community that, that the message resonates about BHA, just by the law of numbers, if, if you have a situation where one out of every 100 men and women that hunt and fish say, I want to join BHA. You're talking about thousands of people, right? And so there's an opportunity to have a major force here. And even though we don't have the Western public lands issues here on the ground, you know, that are, that are right in front of our face where there's an urgency to, to do that, you know, we still have a stake. Uh, we, we still are public landowners that still influences us. You know, we might not use those Western lands. Maybe we do. I do. I want my daughter to, I want my grandkids to. And, you know, so those things are important. And furthermore, 
Um, on the ground here in New York, you know, we're, we're also trying to make a difference. And so state land, federal land, whatever, it's still public land. So, you know, we're trying to get out there and be good stewards. We did a, a public land cleanup last weekend over near Rogers Rock, and we picked up a whole trash, you know, big trailer full of trash and planted 100 trees and stuff like that. You know, those are the kinds of things, the mentorship, the Salmon River cleanup, you know, on and on. Um, there's just people that are just showing up saying, I want to help. And it's really exciting. Oh, which also brings me up to the, uh, pint night in Lake Placid. When is that going down? Oh yeah. So it's tentatively, uh, scheduled for mid August. I think, I think we're shooting for August 18th. Um, so that has not been confirmed on the calendar yet, but that's what it looks like. So I'll keep everybody posted. And for anybody that wants to follow BHA in New York, um, you can do it a couple of ways. If you're on social media, um, you can follow us on Instagram. It's uh, New York BHA. And then there's also we have a Facebook group called uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers New York Chapter. Uh, but, yeah, the Lake Placid Pint Night, um, we're shooting for August. And it dovetails really well, Will, with our Hike to Hunt Challenge. So what we're going to try to do, uh, for those that aren't familiar uh, BHA on a national level is trying to get about 1,200 people together and go out there and hike 50,000 miles. And we're going to raise some money while we're doing it. So there's some prizes. It's a fun community event. So this kicked off June 1st. It runs through August 31st. And believe it or not, in less than a month, you know, 50,000 miles is a target. We've already hiked like 30,000 miles across the country. So it's a fun thing. Like it's, it's a community kind of thing where you can just go out and hike, throw your pack on. Uh, so what we want to do with Lake Placid is to try to integrate a hike to hunt um, during the day and then go out and enjoy a couple of beers and talk about public lands that evening. So we're definitely going to get that on the books. It's going to be a great time to be up there. We'll keep you posted. And I think uh, is the 18th a Saturday? 18th is a Saturday. Perfect. Because yeah. I think we had also talked about fishing the next day. At first, people were talking about maybe hiking the next day, but I said, Will Bradley's not hiking hungover. So <laughs> I can so, r- roll to the river and fish, but I'm not. <laughs> there'll be no hiking on Sunday for me. So you heard it here first, right? So, <laughs> so I, I like that idea, Will. I'm with you, man. So let's yeah. hike on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, hike on Saturday. And I think uh, Dan was saying fish the off stable on Sunday. You know, it'll be a nice weekend. I love it. So it's going to be fun. So we'll keep everybody posted on that. Yeah. And again, to touch on it, if you're not a member, seriously consider joining and being active in it. I love seeing when people are posting like they're fishing and stuff in the group, whatever state chapter you're a part of. And and not to mention that, did you make it out to the uh, the rendezvous, the national rendezvous? I I did, Will, and uh, it was an incredible experience. So uh, it was in early April uh, in Boise, Idaho, and there were 1,300 people there. And so that was the second national rendezvous I've attended. I I went in 2016 to Missoula, and the energy there is just insane. It's like so many cool people. You you go out there, there's a huge lineup of storytellers, people like Stephen Rinella, Randy Newberg. So you get all jacked up because you, you want to hear all those folks talk, right? And you're going to be able to you know see all the, the people that are popular. And what's best about the rendezvous is then you get out there and there's 1,300 people that are just so cool. They're like-minded. They're average, normal people just like us. And they've got great stories. And so you find yourself just building upon that energy and just being excited in that crowd. And uh, this year was no different. Uh, they they do a great job with the national rendezvous. And did you have a favorite speaker from it, or? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, all the speakers were good. So Friday night they did some videos um, that were like homemade videos, and they had like a film fest. And uh, Clay Newcomb, who was the uh, publisher and owner of uh, Bear Hunting Magazine from Western Arkansas, did a great uh, he did a great video on that. I talked to him recently about that on one of my podcasts. It was it was really cool. And then uh, storytelling, you know, uh, they were all great. Uh, Remy Warren, are you you know who Remy Warren oh, yeah. is? Yeah, I met Remy. Remy had a story um, about his fiance, who he's now married to, that was like a tearjerker story. It was great. It was uh, talking about um, uh, you know 
just before they got married, they were, you know, their relationship and everything. But she she's like an ultra distance runner and she got lost out in the out in the mountains and uh, the search and rescue. They couldn't find her. Things weren't looking too good. It was all ominous. And then like he, he got a call from her sister and he goes and, and looks for her. And after like several days of this heart wrenching story, it, like in the middle of the night, he 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 found her. And it's like it was like an incredible story, you know, from not just, you know, it, just from a human interest standpoint. Yeah, it's pretty it's epic. Like, it was epic. Yeah. And, and of course, Stephen Ranella was great. Um, he always tells a good story. Um, so, yeah, the, the quality there is always going to be good. And uh, you're, you're just going to if anybody has a chance to get out to the National Rendezvous next year, it's May 1st through May 5th, 2019 in Boise, Idaho, and there'll be details on the national website, backcountryhunters.org. One of, the, one of the interesting things to me about it, too, was the inclusion of someone like Yvonne Chouinard, who I'm sure there's some mixed feelings out there as far as Patagonia goes, but, you know, to deny the fact that they're just a huge force in the outdoors industry and to not have them on your side, it's got to benefit you somehow. Yeah, and and Yvonne Chouinard is an incredible guy, and his storytelling was amazing. Like I have to say, he is an unassuming uh, personality. Like he's such a force, and then he's so like approachable and and normal. And like his stories were so authentic, um, and and like the work he's done uh, for conservation across the world is is really inspiring. And and so. You know, understanding in conservation in the 21st century, partnerships are critical, right? So nobody can go yeah. it alone. No. And, and so when you have public landowners um, getting out there and, and, you know, coming together, and whether you're a hunter or an angler or a mountain biker um, or, or whatnot, whatever you like to do, when you start building those alliances, you start building the voice. When you start building the voice, you build that big stick that's needed to, to move things ahead. You know, speaking of big sticks, uh, the reason we have so much land, public land in New York State, is actually a lot attributed to Teddy Roosevelt, I believe. Absolutely. And, and so, yeah. You like what? my segue there? You know, <laughs> you know so, the way and, I'm going with the big stick comment. <laughs> absolutely. So what's interesting is, you know, the Adirondack Park, um, I think it became, the. it was sometime around 1885. And TR's uncle, Robert Roosevelt, was one of the catalysts that kind of got the whole buzz going about the park. And interestingly, the concern, um, at that time there was a lot of, harvesting and exploitation through logging and everything like that the concern how they pitched it was like water flow and water quality for new york city residents so they were concerned that yeah with with the overcutting that was going on with the forest fires that were resulting um that that you know that there was going to be a water shortage or a water quality problem so it passed and and robert roosevelt was right in the mix of that and at that time um, that was early on in the game. That was before the 20th century movement, you know, with all the federal national force and everything like that. So it's a new concept. And, and New York was, you know, early on in the game, other than Yellowstone being formed in like 1872. There just there weren't that many examples of, of foresight at that point. But we all know that, uh, you know, Theodore Roosevelt has an incredible Adirondack legacy. It's one of my favorite stories. And so, you know, he was here. He was governor of New York um, before becoming president. He's a New Yorker from Manhattan. And he was, of course, in the Adirondacks hiking on Mount Marcy when he got the news um, from Buffalo uh, to become president. And, you know, he was in Minerva uh, when President McKinley died on September 14th, 1901 in the middle of the night and uh you know he hopped on the train station in north creek just over the road and the rest is history look at look at what he went on to do yeah and and obviously those who know anything about the national parks know that he's the big reason we have a lot of the public land we have but to have that story start in upstate new york 
and with the Adirondacks is pretty incredible. You know, I feel good about being a New Yorker, a lot of Empire State pride, knowing that it started here. And it's something I love so much that then went on to a national level. And you talk about foresight. It's like I never thought I'd go out to like uh, Zion and uh, a lot of the parks down there, arches and whatnot. But last year, you know, the my wife and I took our little over a year old son and we went down there and did the loop. And it was amazing. Just incredible. The, in, in the Like you say, the foresight to know. That this isn't just for like one company or person, whoever, to use or exploit or do what they will with it. To know it's the right of all Americans to be able to go out and enjoy these wild places, to me, is just a stroke of brilliance. It's incredible, right? And it's I like to think that that inspiration came from TR's influence here, you know, his personal at some level, maybe, you know, his experience in the Adirondacks at an early age may have helped to formulate that. But, you know, what's really cool is um, I, I love telling this to folks outside of New York, um, along with TR, Bob Marshall was a New Yorker. You know, the, the Bob mm -hmm. Marshall wilderness. He yep. cut his teeth in the Adirondacks with his brother, George, and their friend, Herb Clark. They were the first 46ers. They found at the Adirondack Mountain Club. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. Hart Miriam, the first director of the National uh, Fish and Wildlife Service, he was a New Yorker. He was born out near Boonville. You know, New York, maybe the BHA chapter of New York should start putting out like a monthly thing, famous New Yorkers in conservation. I, I love it. I you know, love it. like that yeah. pride. <laughs> we could so, use some pride here. I think so. You know, we, we need to build that up. I like it very much, Will. So uh, let's get on that. But yeah, they there's definitely an influence. And, and um, you know, th those people went on to have a national um, influence. And so we kind of feel in New York with BHA that, you know, we can be Generation 2.0, you know, and that we I can have, so. yeah, we can have a a, a national say, you know, that we can be a force, that we have, you know, 19 million people in the state, we have their ear, and you don't have to convince everybody, um, you just know, enough. out there, just enough to just set enough. a good example to, yeah. to keep things moving. And and what what's amazing is we could be like the, the next great generation in conservation and stewardship. You know, I think it's it's in our hands and, uh, you know, we have an opportunity and we're at a crossroads. And, you know, I think organizations like Backcountry Hunters and Anglers that appeal to a wide uh, variety of public landowners, you know, they're, they're appealing to young people. They're appealing to both women and men, both people in New York City and in places like Chestertown, where I live, adult onset hunters and people that have been doing it for years. Um, there's just energy and excitement and beyond that, a, a commitment to doing things. So, you know, standing up and I think one of the great things about BHA is that not only do they talk the talk, but they get the train moving and, and they do things and, and they're pushing things forward from an action standpoint. And that's yeah. how conservation happens. And, and it's interesting because I feel like BHA has made hunting and fishing conservation and being involved cool i'd like to think so and, and i think they have and um you know and i think that i can't tell you how many people uh i've run into uh, we did a pint night earlier this year in brooklyn in williamsburg at fetzal in february and there were 70 people in that place will i mean wow. it was it was packed it was packed and there was so much energy and it's like you know they'll say like how how did you hear about bha well it's usually a podcast it's like so stuff like this is spreading the yeah. word it, it's effective you know it's exactly. steven ranella it's hal herring it's randy newberg but but those people you know are spreading the word and it it's effective and it's getting out on the street you know it's incredible to see how much growth it's gone through and I'm excited to see what kind of growth it goes through next. And one of the things I threw out there and I'd love to know if people listening would be interested is like little like get together fishing 
or hunting, you know, like a hunting camp or like a, a fishing day where we meet up. And I think I talked to Garrett about this as well. Is like, let's get together and go fish, you know, Tug Hill or the Salmon River or, you know, the Silver Lakes Wilderness Region. Let's get together. Let's go fish these things. Let's build this community. And I'm part of a camp that very few, if any, people hunt. I mean, out of all the members, most of them fly fish and maybe 2% of the people who are members hunt but it's 600 acres you know it's got a nice big clubhouse and a uh, it's a, attached to just state land it's in the adirondacks and if anybody's interested i'd be more than happy to host a backcountry hunter and anglers uh camp night you know hunting camp night i i love it and and you bring up a really good point or you about can fish that. there too actually so i guess it could be you, both you, yeah, you know, and, and that's right, and, and that's awesome, and uh, I, I would love to do that. And you, you brought up a really, I think, a good point, and, you know, I talk a lot about hunting, and, and I like to hunt, and that's my passion. It's like deer hunting, and I've hunted out west, and it's kind of what got me started with my blogging platform about western hunting, coming from the east. Um, but, you know, fishing is uh, part of backcountry hunters and anglers. Like, when you start talking about the angling community, and look at what uh, BHA is doing from a stream access standpoint. Rob Parkins, he's their uh, national uh, stream and water access coordinator. Um, he's out west. He came to our chapter rendezvous at the Catskill Fly Fishing Museum earlier this year. New York has an incredible fishing legacy, an incredible fishing community. And um, again, just like the public lands that we like to hunt or camp on, you know, stream access. Um, getting to these places, it's important, and and somebody needs to be looking out and making sure that the the you know that those places are are continued on, and that there's not access issues. You know, so that's the kind of stuff BHA is doing. We've done some stream access cleanup, um, you know, and restoration work that Garrett Burback and uh, some others have worked on, and then you know we've we've also been actively just trying to monitor the scene to make sure like if there's any kind of situations with um, access to water that we're out there on the street advocating for the um, for the protection of that. And somebody needs to or it'll be Some, gone, ruined. Yeah, somebody needs to or it's going to be gone. It's not something that happens uh, by accident. So we would love to grow the membership in the angling community. And so like I, I got to say the pint night, uh, last week uh, that Derek Francisco coordinated with and, and the Trout Power people came to. It was like right up our alley. It was like so much fun. There's a lot of overlay there and and synergy. And so, um, yeah, we, we definitely feel like there's a whole community there on the fishing side um, that, that we want to be uh, engaged with as a chapter in New York. Yeah, and, I, and there's definitely room to grow. Now, for those people who may not know what your side project is and your blog and podcast, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, thanks. So, uh, you know, I have uh, recently started a, a platform called eastwesthunt.com. And, and so the premise there is that it's a community of do-it-yourself hunters and anglers and conservationists, mostly from the east. But maybe you want to – you've been thinking about doing a trip out west – uh, but there's some barriers and you don't know how to really get started, you know, from a planning standpoint. So we're average DIY people. And our goal is to just help with mentorship and, and encouragement and resources. And then also to just lend a voice to like average people that have great stories, like normal people. Um, so I started the, the Facebook group East to West Hunting um, earlier this year and then kind of the blog platform kind of built out from that. And then we recently started podcasting. So it's, it's been great. I mean, I, I'm just thrilled for the support. There's so many people, as you know, podcasting is a, uh, is a lot of, it's involved, right? There's a lot yeah. of time and everything. Labor of love. Yeah. It's a labor of love. And so it's like, it's so cool when somebody says, Hey, I, I listened to your podcast and it, thank you. That's, that's really helpful. Keep going at it. It's great. So, um, yeah, so that, that's what we're all about. It's eastwesthunt.com, and we're on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and everything like that, too. So, um, you, you know, I, 
how that got started is I'm an adult onset Western hunter. So, you know, growing up in the Adirondacks, I had dreamed about going on an elk hunt for many, many years. Um, when I was in my early 20s, you know, I was influenced by that. I wanted to go. But for one reason or another, life just got in the way and I never went until a couple of years ago. And so once I got out to Colorado with my buddy Jeff Jones and we did it, I'm like, holy smokes, Will, this is so much fun. And, you know, I just wanted to help people maybe experience that that were similar to me that just you wanted to do it but didn't know how to get started. So needed yeah. a start, needed a rally point. Needed a rallying point. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's a lot of fun. It's a hobby. Um, and I hope to be able to, you know, throw in some conservation advocacy and some knowledge into that to be able to help people understand the public lands issues and the private land stewardship things going on. So, uh, the, the best part is, you know, is you just get to meet some amazing people. So one of the, one of the best benefits to the whole thing is just talking with people like yourself and like, and, and, you know, all the guests that you end up having that have so much to share and are so generous about doing it. It's, oh, uh, yeah. yeah, it's fun. And, uh, you know, I almost forgot, by the way, you won the t-shirt. <laughs> That's the first announcement <laughs> of it. I, uh, I actually put all the names up there and then, you know, assigned them one, two, three, four, five, whatever down the list. And mm-hmm. I did a random gen- number generator. And my sister won. And I thought, oh, that'll seem weird if my sister won. I'm going to give away two. So I did it again. <laughs> and your name was the second. So congratulations, Todd. For anyone listening oh. who's interested in that. I think I'll do another one next month and uh, keep going. So I am stoked. I'm going to wear that T-shirt with pride, Will. I love Please it. Please do. Please yeah. do. I'll be looking for it at the pint night. And uh, I know we're getting short here on time. But if you haven't, check out. Todd's group, East to West Hunting, on Instagram, Facebook. Check out the blog. Check out the New York State Backcountry Hunter and Angler chapter. And if you haven't joined the national one, join that. And that puts you right in ours, I believe. Right, Todd? Yeah, that's right, Will. Thanks so much. And so for anybody that's interested in joining, individual membership, only $25. We're running a special right now in New York where uh, you get a one in a hundred shot at winning a Yeti cooler package with that $25 membership and you get all the benefits of the normal membership. So uh, one in a hundred, somebody's going to win that and they're going to come away with a good cooler and they're going to get membership for a year. It's really hard to beat. So they can, they can join at, uh, at the national site, www.backcountryhunters.org. And then they'll, they'll be in our chapter and then we can uh, keep you posted on events through our, our database and email system. And thank you all for listening. Thank you, Todd, for joining me. Everyone out there, until next time, go out there and get your conservation on. Hey, thanks, Will. It's a pleasure. Pleasure's all mine.